0: Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and change makers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact. And this is your host, Michael Shafra.
1: This is Impact Hustlers, the podcast on the entrepreneurs that solve the world's biggest social and environmental problems. And I'm your host, Michael Shafrat. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share the episode, most importantly, with a friend. To keep updated on new episodes, visit impacthustlers.com and sign up for our email alerts. And follow us on Twitter as well, at Impact hustlers. Enjoy today's episode and let's go. In today's episode, I speak to Freddie Kelly, co founder and CEO of Credit Kudos. Credit Kudos is on a mission to build a fair and transparent credit score that is based on actual financial behavior. Freddie went through the company builder program Entrepreneur First and launched Credit Kudos in 2015. Since then, they've raised some funding recently with Ascension Ventures and are now building the product. It's great to have you on the show today.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Thank you. I'm going to start with sharing a personal story with credit scores. Two, actually. So the first touch point for me with credit scores was when I moved out from my parents and I got my own flat in a different city. And I moved from a pretty nice conservative area with a lot of older people with probably very stable credit scores and, you know, not rich area, but, you know, people probably had enough money to pay the bills and stuff like that into a big city where it was a hip part of town, but maybe with a lot of people that weren't really able to pay their bills sometimes. So immediately the credit scoring agency actually put me a level down and was like, okay, your neighbors are not really paying their bills. So probably you won't pay your bills as well. That was one experience I had. The next one I had, I moved to the UK from Germany and all the UK agencies and banks, they were like, we don't know who are you? Like, we are not going to give you anything. right?" So those are just like personal experiences I had. And obviously this is kind of some of the problems that you encounter and that you're looking to solve. So tell me through how you're solving these problems or these kind of problems.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's actually crazy how many times we hear those kinds of stories on a day-to-day basis. And not just from like, you know, regular people in the street, but our investors, for example, you know, I've been in many like angel investor meetings where they're like, yeah, this is really frustrating. I have this exact problem. And these aren't people that are like, you know not wealthy or like you know have financial difficulty they just have this real problem of proving what they do have and doing it in a way that isn't like incredibly painful and incredibly slow so what we do is we basically put that process back in the hands of consumers so instead of this traditional credit bureau model which is basically these companies that kind of sit on a lot of our data they have these like private agreements with big banks, utilities, companies, telcos, where they collect data periodically and they build this picture of you that you're kind of blissfully unaware of, what we do is we say, hey, you know, Freddie, like the best thing that you can do to prove your creditworthiness is actually show us that you're financially healthy. And because of changes in European standards in the UK, we have this thing called open banking, whereby consumers with explicit consent, so with their prior knowledge they can share data with us that we can use to basically build like a financial health or financial behavior score that we then provide to the lender that says actually you know freddy's saving money each month he's not going over his limits he's you know spending within his sort of income bracket and he's doing all the right things and so instead of creating this kind of chicken and egg problem whereby on day one, Freddie doesn't have a credit score and he needs to borrow money to get a credit score and obviously needs a credit score to borrow money, we can say, well, even if he's not got past borrowing information or if that information is not available, so if he's come from, say, another country, we can validate that he's healthy and we can show that to a lender.
1: Mm -hmm. Talk us through some of those. Let's dig a bit deeper on the problem side of things. What do you see with the typical person that you're trying to help um, with credit kudos? What are the difficulties they go through? What are the injustices? What's like some of the things that are really screwed up in the credit rating sector right now?
0: There's a ton. So, I mean, I'll start with the things that we're specifically solving for today, but there are also, you know, wider reaching issues that I think we're still kind of yet to tackle. So the big sort of key areas that we see coming up frequently are what you call sort of thin filed customers. So people that don't have. thick credit file basically they don't have a lot of history so this could be someone uh, such as yourself that's moved to a new country uh, and doesn't have anything you know they've just got off a plane there's nothing there to sort of judge them on it could also be a new graduate say who hasn't been borrowing money as part of their sort of university or school or educational or vocational career up to that point so they may be have a phone contract that they pay off each month, they maybe have rental data that they um, accrue by paying a landlord. They maybe have like utilities and things like that, but none of those things are sort of contributing to showing that they 're a good risk in the sort of traditional sense. so for those customers and for the lenders that are trying to serve those customers more accurately more fairly, we provide a solution that says actually you can sort of enrich your app eligibility or your score by providing this consent to us and we'll create this credit profile that is based on that data so those are the kind of initial use cases there are other problems with credit bureaus so one of the ones that always makes me laugh is the sort of identity problem so you hear about this especially in the context of some of these new challenger banks you know how does someone get off a plane and prove that they who they say they are and they can open a bank account and the way that's worked for a very long time is we need some kind of paper evidence that you've got bills and council tax and all those things going to your address and obviously for a lot of these people they haven't got an address yet although if they do they've only been there for a few weeks and so they don't have any of that data and so they can't open a bank account and of course how do you pay your utility bills your council tax you do it with a bank account so this like real difficult problem of actually getting onto the financial system in the first place and the sort of fico credit model that was originally dreamt up in the u.s so fico standing for the fair isaacs corporation that built this idea of sort of gathering these disparate points together you know your voting status your payment history your application history that kind of stuff and um, when that was brought over to the uk it was kind of transplanted and instead of being based upon your social security number as a unique identifier here it's based on your basically your name and address and postcode and date of birth so as you can imagine, there's this issue that actually people move quite frequently, especially in the younger generations. Also, there's probably about 10 different ways you could write down the same address. And so the current bureau system has this proliferation of kind of credit files that are all kind of duplicates of the same person. And so that they have this huge problem in just identifying who you are and getting data. So the, the whole process is because it's built around unconsented data sharing that happens in the background. You know, you maybe tick a box on a... a website that says you agree to this happening, the information is always kind of being gathered without your consent. And it means it's often inaccurate, often incomplete, often just totally wrong. And so there's a lot more we can tackle and a lot more we'd like to fix in the world of credit scoring.
1: And the investment you've got actually from Essential Ventures was part of a program called, I think, Fair by Design, which was focused at tackling the poverty premium, which is supposedly the fact that people on the poorer end of society are basically disadvantaged with many services, are paying more for their products. Yeah. How does that relate to what you're doing? That are credit scores influencing what people pay for access to finance or how does it influence people? Yeah, so at its most
0: basic level, I think the poverty premium represents that just that cost of being poor, right? The the idea that, you know, if I pay my utility bills through a meter because I'm in a lower income, how to predict segment of users, I end up paying more than I would pay by a monthly direct debit. Or if I apply for my, uh, I don't know, my insurance through a telephone service rather than using a comparison site because I don't have that capability, then I end up paying more. And so there are all these different touch points in sort of financial literacy and financial life cycles that end up with sort of lower income people paying more. And credit's no different. So one of the ways that we're really keen to tackle that problem is is in the interest rates that people pay and the accessibility of credit and at the moment the sort of spectrum of loan and credit products that exists kind of obviously there's a concentration of the high street banks around you know prime customers so people that have these thick credit files they have good histories you know they generally don't need to borrow money they obviously get the best rates of interest and then below that you have you know sort of sort of alternative finance providers and then there's different companies that serve different segments. And we all know about, you know, for example, payday loans and how the sort of very lower end of that customer spectrum where risk is really hard to measure, people get charged a lot more. And they get charged a lot more because of that very reason, because the lender doesn't really know whether they're going to repay or doesn't confidently know whether they're going to repay. It's not necessarily that, that person is is bad or that indeed, indeed that lender is bad. It's just that there's a lack of information. And you know, if you think about it, they 're using exactly the same credit data that the bank used when they rejected you, and then they 're trying to make a better decision it 's crazy right so a big sort of measure for, for what we're trying to do is can we allow some of those lenders that serve those excluded financially sort of distressed or excluded populations? can we allow them to make better credit decisions so they don 't have to charge so much money to kind of mitigate their risk and that 's kind of how we got involved with the Fair buy design Fund and, and some of the work they 're doing, and they obviously fund. A lot of great other fintechs that are sort of tackling a similar problem.
1: Amazing. Now there's a number of startups out there trying to tackle this problem from different angles, from neo banks that claim to better assess your, your spending to other startups that are trying to reinvent the credit score. What would you say is like the main thing in your approach that would stand out versus what's out there already right now with technology companies trying to innovate on this?
0: I mean, there's a bunch of different problems you could go about solving. As I mentioned before, the two key areas that we're looking to kind of tackle are the data and then the transparency in the process that is sort of tied to that. And those things are kind of linked by design. So obviously, like having better data that's more granular, that's more specific to an individual, you can make a better credit decision. That's not unique. That's kind of obvious. The challenge is how do you take that data and turn it into a sort of much as possible objective risk measurement that you can use in a heavily regulated environment to make a lending decision. And so getting from that sort of point A to point B is where our business comes in. And what we do is we, through working with lending partnerships, we basically correlate the sort of input data. So the bank account information, all that sort of juicy information about someone's financial standing, to how individuals repay. So we sort of have the before and after of a lending decision. And with those two pieces of information at scale, we're able to build models that can predict accurately, just from that bank account data, whether someone is likely to repay or not, and give us a sort of scale and representation of that likelihood. So that's the kind of data side the consent and transparency side is actually how we get that data right so this idea of this credit bureau that i described before being this company that kind of has all your information sells it without you knowing about it and basically offers nothing in return that kind of business model you know instinctively just doesn't make sense and if you were trying to explain that to someone in like five years time i think you'd have a hard time and in parallel to this you know we have changes in standards like GDPR and PSD2 basically saying that, you know, data is a right, it's something we own. And therefore, we're trying to basically build a model around that kind of data sharing concept. So can users give us their data and therefore get the maximum benefit?
1: Let's talk a bit about actual challenges of building the product you're building and distributing it. I think um, you know the sector much better than me, but if you look at the UK, you probably have two or three big agencies that do this stuff. Yeah, three. So it's pretty much divided between a few big companies that build up their position in the market, and they probably don't like people like you coming in and messing with their model, right? And on the other side, obviously, they although with all the flaws that they have they've built up like a database etc so now you coming in and saying to banks look we're going to tell you about your customers but you know our database might not be as big right now or how do you go about this in terms of attacking like these two sides of yeah. gathering data and then convincing institutions to actually work with you
0: yeah I mean the short answer is, is really difficult right I mean any fintech business will tell you you know the challenges of sort of dealing with the inertia in financial services, and that's no more true than it is in the credit bureau world. You know there are three big incumbents, all now U.S. owned companies that control you know almost all of the market. And it's quite a timely question because the FCA is currently launching an investigation into the credit information services market, and part of that is looking at how they can foster competition and sort of provide more alternatives to those three providers. It's difficult because they sit on a lot of data and a lot of data that's been gathered over a long period of time which gives them this advantage that you know that you can't sort of enter in day one and suddenly grab all that information and provide a competitive product but we're fortunate because of these changes in data sharing laws and the standards that are underpinning these things like psd2 we can actually provide a different product that works in a different way that is very competitive to what they do because we're instead of asking for sort of reciprocal agreements from banks to get data we're allowing the consumer to be empowered to give us that data
1: so basically right now your main challenge is you actually have to convince people to connect their bank accounts to your product and then in return get a better credit score with you
0: in essence i mean open banking is probably a bad name for a standard in banking because you know no one wants their bank account to be open and it kind of sends all the wrong messages what's good about the standard is it's designed to like i say empower the consumer so it's only when you explicitly say i want to share data with this company that you actually share your data and so they really have to pitch as to why they want that data and what they're going to do for you in return which is a great value exchange and the way things should be instead of it being the default that they already have your data and you're kind of wondering what's going on with it so that is part of the trust challenge i think probably secondary to that is actually you know the sort of banks and lenders adopting new new risk policies because obviously this stuff is baked into the very core of a bank or a financial services institution and tweaking the dials on how they measure risk is not something that happens overnight right so having to kind of work with those organizations over the periods of time it takes for them to get comfortable with new risk policies and new data is a kind of big big challenge for us and we've been lucky in the sense that we've had some great backers that that kind of have done this before. And also we've worked with some really progressive, interesting and sort of innovative lenders that are willing to kind of work with us on that.
1: So yeah, where are you in that journey? I've seen you, you closed a bunch of partnerships, so you're kind of going that route. So where do you see yourself in that journey in terms of breaking into that market and becoming the new choice for people?
0: Yeah, it's difficult. It's one of those things that you know, it will feel like an overnight success to most people when it happens, but there's been some hard yards in the background to get there. And, you know, that there is this weird dynamic that, you know, you work with one bank and then suddenly all the others want to follow. And we've certainly experienced that. We're not yet at the point where we can kind of publicly disclose like all the banks that we're working with but you know we've got a good subset of the nine largest banks in the uk working with us in some capacity and yeah, as you mentioned we're continuing to build traction with some of the alternative finance providers that, that sort of challenge those incumbents so we currently work with like the biggest motor finance broker in the uk we very recently announced that we work with some innovative loans providers that provide credit to those people in this sort of underserved segment of the market Um, we're working we're quite excited working with a new lender that's using our credit decision models to uh, completely automate their their credit decision process without using any of the existing big three bureaus it's a big step for us so we're probably sort of at a 1%, 2% of the, you know, the, if you think about the size of the lending market in the UK, you know, that there's a long way to go. But we're fortunate in the sense that this, the sort of growth timeline looks like this in sort of steps. And some of the companies we're working with right now represent, you know, millions and millions of applications a year. And so, we're, you know, we're able to kind of quite quickly get large scale distribution once we get to sort of a ramp up with those guys. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a bunch of founders that are listening to this podcast, many of them much earlier than you are, maybe with an idea or just about to kind of test and validate what they're trying to do. Can you share maybe one of your challenges as a founder and how you've overcome it? Is there anything, what's been like one of the most difficult things in getting to the point where you're at now where I know as a founder, it never feels like you arrived at a success, at least you're always still working on your vision, but you got to a certain level where you got funded and you have the permission to play in this field now yeah
0: how long have you got (laughs) Uh, (laughs) it's difficult because I think people always like think that when they see people speaking they've got it all figured out and I think the role of a founder is to just be willing to like continually like product things and figure out how they work and not be afraid of like disrupting and breaking something and you know part of my learning journey has been understanding that and sort of being willing to kind of sit in a room full of what i think are like experts you know leaders of banks and things like that and tell them you know what they're doing is wrong which is you know it's quite difficult right it's quite daunting i think one of the biggest lessons i got early actually partly through sort of entrepreneur first program that you mentioned was kind of getting validation for something you're doing you know that myself as an engineer i'm always kind of like My instinct is to build something and try and, like, engineer a way out of a problem. And it's really easy to go down a rabbit hole of, like, thinking you've got a really cool idea and making something and wasting loads of time. And we were told, I think, there's this book called The Mum Test. Yeah. Uh, yeah, So That's uh,
1: my number one recommendation. Okay, cool. (laughs) I
0: love it. I'm probably going to butcher this, but the premise of this book is like basically whenever, and this is definitely true for myself, you know, whenever you have an idea and you like tell your parents or like your mom, she's always going to be like, you know, that's great. Like you do you, that's like the best thing ever, like, you know, all power to you. And what you really need to find is like the person that tells you that's like a stupid idea, right? And preferably the one that's like qualified on what you're doing. And so entrepreneur first ef had this idea of like chasing the hard no which is basically like trying to quickly like fail which you know it's not unique like we hear about this like fail fast mentality all the time but it's really true that like the quickest way to like find out whether someone wants to buy something is to like try and sell it to 10 people and see if they're actually like willing to take your call and talk to you Mm -hmm. and you can do that with like a very low cost right you don't have to build anything you'd be surprised how far down that process you can get before you actually need to like Mm -hmm. deliver something and that's the whole role of a startup right it's like when that does happen you can do it quickly i guess my piece of advice if i can call it that is just to kind of like get out to people and ask questions and like see if they want to buy what you're thinking of and and that's pretty a good Mm -hmm. way to start
1: so the company you're running today is that how your idea looked like on the day one? Uh, from what you just said, it's probably not the case that you did you run into a few hurdles until you arrived where you're at now?
0: I mean, for sure, we're continually like evolving what we do based on new information and like you know we'd be crazy if we weren't. we got a bit of a head start like before I was involved with entrepreneur first, I was working on a product in fact in San Francisco that was looking at consumer spending data and trying to predict. Different stuff. So, we were trying to figure out where, like, you know, Macy's should put their next store and, like, you know, what time are the people at the counter going to need to speak Italian because they've got an influx of tourists, all that sort of like crazy stuff based on analytical data from credit cards. And so, I had this kind of viewpoint into this quite unique data set. And and bearing in mind, the US is a little bit far ahead in proliferation of like sharing that information, although ironically, they don't actually have standards for doing it. So, I got this sort of insight of like what this data could do and so when i came back to london and went through all these problems that you know very similar to the ones you described at the start i had this kind of tool that i could potentially point at this problem uh, which was a useful starting point but no doubt we've changed like a bunch of things since then and i think one of the most painful things as an engineer and like you know i built the first version of our product was when we started hiring engineers just hearing them like complain about how bad my code was and you know sort of like swearing and effing and blinding about who wrote this and what's this and i think fortunately we're at the point where pretty much anything that i touch has now been removed from production but yeah it's a painful journey
1: you clearly hired the right people then to push the level even higher right one last question i have for you if you imagine how the world could look like in 10 years if you actually succeed how does the world look like in about 10 years
0: wow well i mean i kind of alluded to it before right like this current model of data sharing i'll I'll, sort of draw the line much wider it's pretty bizarre like we're already seeing with gdpr i think you know the day that ba got fined something like 180 million pounds for you know not properly protecting themselves from data breaches so this this is such a key issue it's not just about credit it's you know all sorts of things This, this transfer of data is happening all the time and you know we have this like interesting disparity at the moment where like in the u.s Your data is effectively an asset, so it can be bought and sold and you can kind of like trade it on and it's quite encapsulated, whereas it's a right in Europe. So you always have that ultimate like veto of what goes on with your data. And I think what we're trying to do is build a model for sort of trust in financial services that encapsulates that. So no matter where you are, no matter who you are, where you've come from, you should be able to use your information to its best sort of I guess efficacy so that you can get, you know, an optimal deal for you and or an optimal process. Uh, and we're trying to build the sort of credit bureau if you can if that will still be what it's called at that point around that model. And kind of I think I said before, you know, we're kind of at this one percent if that, you know, it's such an enormous market. So I'd love to say we'd kind of kicked out some of the incumbents and got to that sort of that level of distribution in ten years' time.
1: I wish you the best on that journey and thanks for joining me today.
0: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure
1: thanks thanks for listening to today's episode if you like this episode make sure to subscribe leave a review and share the episode with a friend to keep updated on new episodes visit impacthustlers.com and sign up for our email alerts and also follow us on twitter at impacthustlers. hustlers thanks very much for tuning in and see you next week
0: This was Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and changemakers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impacthustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.